This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 of Allegiant. So where we left off, Triss met with the Allegiant people. And surprise, surprise, it was Kara. And so they said, all right, half of us will stick here and we'll try and revert back to the faction system. And a few of you, you're going to go out over the fence, see what's out there. And then they did so. So Tobias busted Caleb out of jail to come for the trip. And now they're on the train heading towards the fence. And so we pick up with Triss saying in chapter 11, the train slows down when we get closer to the fence. And it's like, well, yeah. Well, yeah, it's not going to bust through the fence, is it? And she says that that's a signal from the driver that they should get off soon because the trains can't stop. I love that they need a signal from the driver to know when they're close to the fence to get off of the train. The fence is a big fucking fence. If you see the fence, jump off. But no, I love that they've worked out this system. I'll, I'll slow down the train so you guys know when to get off. Even though I have the capacity to slow it down, I cannot stop it ever. These trains don't stop. So the best I can do is to slow it down and you guys are just gonna have to jump off. And that's what they do. But before that happens, she's looking at four and she's thinking he looks like a little sex pot because she's looking at the collarbone peeking out from the neck of his shirt. And she, uh, she says, I feel something heating up inside me. Oh, girl. I mean, I guess collarbones are sexy, but I never thought that that was really what was going to make you all hot under the collar. And he goes, what are you thinking about? Because she must be panting or something. And she's like, "Uh, nothing. And he's like, nothing, hey. And he pulls her closer. I'll remind you guys that Caleb's also in the room. And then she says to him, I guess to change the subject, she goes, oh, it looks like we're getting close to the fence. And then she says in narration, she says, I can tell because the buildings are disappearing. And it's like, what? Well, of course you're getting close to the fence because that's where you're headed. The train driver's also signaled to you that you're close to the fence by slowing down. And now she's telling us she can tell that they're close to the fence because the buildings are disappearing. I don't think this is a Sherlock Holmes mystery. You guys are 
driving towards the fence and she's getting all these clues. She's getting all these little clues to try and figure out whether or not they're heading towards the fence. And it's like, yeah, you're heading towards the fucking fence. And she's like having a moment before she jumps off being like, I'm going to miss these trains. I'm going to miss this city where I've almost died six times, where my parents have died, where I've killed people, killed my best friend, Will. I'm going to miss this place and everything that the train represents. And it's like, did we really need that? They all have too much of a strong connection, an emotional connection with these trains, don't you think? Tobias had an emotional connection to his needles in the fear landscape room. Triss is waxing poetic about the trains. I I don't get why they're being so sentimental. Like they want to escape. I know they both love the faction system, but like, don't you want to escape? And so it's nighttime. Now that she's jumped off, she's got to get her bearings and she can't find Caleb and Tobias. And then she hears Christina shout out, hey, Triss, Triss over here. And so she meets up with Christina and Uriah. Caleb tries to run away, but Four catches up to him. And Uriah says, yeah, Four's faster than a nose like you to Caleb. And Christina, she's like, oh, what? And Uriah goes, nose. And it's spelt like the appendage, N-O-S-E. And then Uriah touches the side of his nose. And he says, it's a play on words, as in like nose, like K-N-O-W-S. He goes nose with a K, which stands for knowledge. He's an erudite. Get it? What? And he's like, it's like stiff. We call them noses. Noses. That is something that I just cannot get on board with. (laughs) He's calling Caleb a nose. And he says it's a play on words, but I, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is because he's like nose, but it's also a homonym with nose. And none of them write anything down. So when you're saying nose, people don't know if you're using the silent K or you're using an N, but okay. So they call the erudite nose and Christina's been dauntless for six months and she's never heard of it. And so she goes, oh, the dauntless have the weirdest slang. Is there a term for candor? You should know this by now. And he goes, yeah, jerks. We call them jerks. And Christina's like, oh, stop it. And Tobias is laughing because it's so funny. I think if they called erudite noses or nose, we would nose about it. Like during initiation, they were calling Triss stiff all the time. No one ever called anyone a nose. I don't nose about that, guys. I don't nose about it at all. So Joanna and the trucks are a 10 minute walk from there. So they just walk in the darkness together. She says, we move closer together like sections of a tightened shoelace. Which I don't know if I hate that as like a metaphor, but I don't know if it makes sense either, but I kind of like it. And Tori's there too. So Tori's walking ahead of her. Even though it's pitch black, they've got some flashlights. And so she's She's looking at the tattoo on Tori's back. And then she's thinking about how this person ran her aptitude test. She's the first person that told her she was divergent, blah, blah, blah. We know who Tori is. She thinks about how Tori was afraid of birds. And then she's thinking like, I wonder if she ever overcame that fear of birds. And then she goes, I wonder if fears ever really go away or if they just lose their power over us. What's the difference? And also I thought that's something that you were thinking about back in book one. That's a dauntless initiation idea. Why are we wasting time on fear theory when we're getting out of the fence? Come on. 
let's hop to it. Let's hop to the action. And well, okay, speaking of, action does happen. So there's gunshots up ahead. Tori gets shot. Tobias is like, oh my God, they're shooting at us. Split up, run, run. And she makes a really odd decision. So she says, Tori had escalated pace. She was further ahead than Tris was. She could only see where Tori was by her flashlight and the flashlight fell to the ground when she got shot. And so, yeah, Tobias is like, run, run. And she's like, oh, I can't run in the darkness. She says, I can't run into the night. I need light. I sprint in the direction of Tori's body, of her fallen flashlight. So Tori just got shot holding a flashlight, which is clearly how they aimed at her, how they managed to pop her and kill her. And she thinks, you know what I need? I need a flashlight. We're being shot at by the factionless. Let me go and grab a torch because I can't run in darkness. I refuse to run in darkness. Let me carry this beam of light so they know how to shoot me, where to shoot me, and let me go to where they were just shooting. Tori just got shot. Let me go to that spot and also get shot. What an idiot. She's not a nose. That's for sure. She is not a nose. And so she gets to Tori's body. And for a minute there, she's like, oh, maybe I should see if she's okay. But we know she's more concerned about getting the flashlight. So she looks at her. She's been shot in the stomach and the chest. And she goes, well, she's not going to be able to recover from this. And she is still alive. So she says Tori's eyes shift in her direction and focus on her. And her eyebrows furrow, but she doesn't speak. And Tris goes, okay, bye. And just grabs the flashlight and leaves her. (laughs) Doesn't even say anything. She just leaves her. She goes, thanks for the flashlight and the divergence test, toots. Bye. But then she hears someone approaching. So she gets the flashlight that's on. She scans it around. She finds someone approaching, so she shoots them. I don't know why that other person didn't shoot Tris since she's holding a beam of light. But okay, so she's killed someone else. And then she thinks, maybe I should get out of here. And it's like, oh yeah. So she sees lights up ahead. She runs for that. It ends up being the truck. The truck that has its headlights on. Are we not under attack here? Everyone just does not want to be covert. But she can see that the truck is red. And so she's like, oh, that's an Amity truck. That's their color. So uh, something else stupid happens. So Christina is in the car. She can't see that it's Christina, but she can hear Christina. And Christina's like, Tori, is that you, Tori? And Tris, instead of just talking and saying, oh, it's me, it's Tris. She gets the flashlight. She points it at herself. Doesn't say anything. She just points the light at herself so Christina can see her. And then Christina goes, oh, it's you. Hi, Tris. Why could you not have just used your words, Tris? I don't know why you had to aim the flashlight at yourself. So Christina's like, come on, we got to go find Tori. And Tris says, don't bother. She's dead. I killed the person who shot her. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, all right. And so Tobias isn't with the truck. So she's freaking out a little bit. But Joanna's like, hey, don't worry. We'll find them. We'll, we'll drive to the meeting spot. They'll probably be there. Tobias will be fine. So they drive ahead and yep, they meet up with Tobias on another truck. He did get shot though. She says his arm is soaked with blood and Kara stands in front of him with a first aid kit. So yeah, he's been shot. So she runs over to him. They hug, they kiss. He tastes like salt, she says. And she says, all the knots of tension inside me come apart at once. I feel just for a moment like I am remade, like I am brand new. He's all right. We're out of the city. He's all right. And no, bitch, he's been shot in the hand or the arm. I don't think he's all right. 
Maybe if they shot his left arm, then yes, he is technically all right, but she hasn't even said a word to him. They've just kissed and hugged. I haven't gotten the medical diagnosis, but she's like, oh, he's fine. What? I'm pretty sure he's bleeding, but okay. Yeah, he's fine. And that's the end of that chapter. So we go to chapter 12. We switch into Tobias's POV and he says his arm throbs like a second heartbeat from the bullet graze. Okay, so yeah, he has been shot by a bullet. Well, grazed by a bullet. So I guess he is all right. And so he looks around and they're near a bunch of other greenhouses. And he goes, what are those? And Joanna says, oh, they're the other greenhouses. We didn't show them to you when you stayed with us. And he's like, wow, okay, keep secrets much. And she's like, yeah, we don't tend to show them to visitors. So they get into a truck and start driving away. He thinks about how Tori's missing. And he's like, oh, she administered my aptitude test. She made me think for the first time that I could leave abnegation, that I could be dauntless. And it's like, oh, did, did Tori just run everybody's aptitude tests? She was a busy gal. What a busy little lass. And actually reading it the first time, I was like, am I in Triss's perspective or Four's right now? Because they seem to have the same backstory. They have the same voice. It was actually quite jarring to have to remember that I'm in Tobias's POV right now. And they must already be over to the other side of the fence because that's where the Emity compound is. And so they get to the outer limits of where the Dauntless patrol. And Joanna's like, this is it. This is the turning point. And Four tells us that no fence or wall marks the divide between the Emity compound and the outer world. But he remembers monitoring the Dauntless patrols of the area from the control room that he used to work in conveniently. And they would make sure that no one would go further than the limit, which is marked by a series of signs with X's on them. And the patrols were structured so that trucks would run out of gas if they went too far. And Tris asks like, oh, has anyone ever gone past this limit? And Joanna goes, yeah, a few times. It was our responsibility to deal with that situation when it came up. And she says, every faction has a serum. The Dauntless serum gives hallucinated realities. Candace gives the truth. Amity's gives peace. Erudites gives death. And Triss is like, because oh, she almost died from that. And abnegations resets memory. So why does, why does every faction have a different fucking serum? And some of those serums seem a lot more useful than others. Like one makes someone tell the truth and the other one makes them have hallucinations that, <laughs> about things that they're afraid of. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I kind of know which one has a more practical use. And so apparently abnegation's serum resets memory and they know nothing about it, even though they were both raised in abnegation, maybe it's been used against them. We don't know. Don't know why it's first coming up now in book three. And then Joanna says the Amity are charged with administering the abnegation serum to anyone who goes out past the limit, just enough to make them forget the experience. I'm sure some of them have slipped past us, but not many. Okay, so is it an abnegation serum or is it an amity serum? And what did I tell you? This book is just serum, 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 serum. I am so sick of the serums. And Four was just telling us that he in the control room used to watch the Dauntless patrols. (sighs) And he doesn't know anything about this serum, but apparently the amity are catching people and giving them a serum to make them forget. But, But Dauntless don't know anything about this serum? even though they would be the ones that would be reporting to Amity that someone's escaped. I don't know. Well, it's a deck of cards. You know, you examine one card too closely, the whole thing's going to topple over. So then in the light of the early morning, they see something up ahead and Four grabs Triss's hand and he says, look, 
And that's the end of the chapter, weirdly. Okay, so I'm just filled with suspense. So let's go to chapter 13. We're back in Triss's POV. And she says, the world beyond ours is full of roads and dark buildings and collapsing power lines. Oh, okay, so that's it. <laughs> okay. When he said something was up ahead, I thought, oh, are we going to get a big monster? We, we've got an, an army. Uh, no, we've got roads and buildings and power lines. Like, oh boy, thanks. I'm riveted. She says there's no life as far as she can see. No movement, no sound, but the wind. And they're on train tracks. So they don't know which way to go, but Triss goes, we follow the tracks, I say quietly. So only I hear it, but they must hear it because then that's what they do. They all follow the tracks. Why why would you say something if you don't want anyone to hear it, Triss? Uriah asked a question, where are we going? And she answers him inaudibly. That, That frustrates me. So then they're just walking past the tracks. So much for this cliffhanger last chapter (laughs) that really led to nothing. So Robert and Joanna, they ditch them. They take the trucks back to Amity. They got to drive back to the city. So we have Tris, Tobias, Caleb, Peter, Christina, Uriah, and Kara setting off to walk along the tracks. And she says, these tracks aren't like the city tracks. They are polished and sleek. And instead of boards running perpendicular to their path, there are sheets of textured metal. Okay, great. So it's a different type of fucking train. Who gives a shit? And oh, we're going to get like a fish out of water thing now. They're going to see all of these modern day conveniences and be like, what's that? As if they don't also live in a huge city, an abandoned city, but like these buildings exist. You know what I mean? So she sees a train (laughs) and she goes, wow, it is metal plated on top and front like a mirror with tinted windows all along the side. And when I draw closer, I see rows of benches inside it with maroon cushions on them. And she thinks people must not jump on and off these trains because they're filled with benches and cushions. And it's like, no, I I hate to break it to you, Tris, but that's not the done thing. And then she's looking at the concrete walls and she's like, what's that? They're covered with strange pictures of people. With skin so smooth, they hardly look like people anymore. Okay, so there's your commentary on Photoshop and Botox. I guess we were all looking to Allegiant to have some of that commentary. So this is great. And she's like, and look, colorful bottles are being shown on these posters. She doesn't know what an ad is. They're, they're filled with words like shampoo and conditioner and vitamins and other words I don't understand like vodka and Coca-Cola and energy drink. Okay. Vodka? Yeah, sure. Maybe she doesn't know what vodka is. Coca-Cola? Okay, I guess they scrubbed every remnant of Coca-Cola in the whole city of Chicago. They just got rid of that before they built the fence. Um, and energy drink, she can't figure out. And like, that's not a brand name, doll. Like, it, it kind of says what it is on the box, you know? A- energy and drink. She knows both of those things, but she's like, what could that be? What could that be? That's crazy. And she's just staring at these ads. She says the colors and shapes and words and pictures are so garish, so abundant that they are mesmerizing. What, read a book. Like, yeah, I know, I know they've wiped their minds and they've, they must've scrubbed all of Chicago, but you're not telling me that like in the, in the Hancock building, someone didn't miss like a magazine. There's not a copy of Vogue floating around that someone stumbled upon once or twice. Like what? She, she has no concept of ads or bottles of shampoo. Well, 
But then they hear footsteps. So she can't just be staring at the ads anymore. And they're like, ah, ah. They draw their guns, but then a black truck comes around and she says it's larger than any truck she's ever seen. Large enough to hold more than a dozen people. So I don't know. What is it? A tank? I don't know. Um, So the tank slash truck comes over, stops near them. And she says, I can see the man driving it. He has dark skin and long hair that it is in a knot at the back of his head. Okay. So he's got dark skin. Okay, sure. Um, And then Tobias is like, what? And then a woman gets out and okay, her skin is patterned with dense freckles and her hair is so dark, it's almost black. Okay, just say she's got black hair then. I'm confused by the descriptions here. We're getting his skin color and we're not getting hers, but just that she's got freckles, but she's got dark hair. It's so, so dark. It's almost black, but it's not black. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So I don't know what that's about, but then she goes, my name's Zoe and this is Amar. And Tobias goes, Amar is dead. And Amar says, no, I'm not. Come on, four. And Triss is like, what, four? How does he know his nickname? So remember? 
when Tobias a couple of chapters ago just started thinking about his Dauntless Initiation instructor. And he was like, oh, I miss Amar. He was the first guy who ever thought I was divergent. He um, tragically died. And it was so out of place. I was like, surely Amar's coming back into it, right? And yet here he is. And I haven't read spoilers of this book. I haven't seen the movie. I didn't know this was coming, but she introduced this character so clunkily. The only explanation for such an introduction is that he was going to pop up again. And yet here he is. And did it really, did it really matter? We could have just had the reveal without that little snippet of backstory a couple of chapters ago. The reveal could have just happened now and we would have been like, what? It would have been the same. Triss tells us that Tobias's face is tight with fear. And she's like, I don't blame him. It's not every day you see someone you care about come back from the dead. And clearly he was never dead. Clearly he was never dead. And she's talking about Tobias being like, it's not every day someone you care about comes back from the dead. And yet that's exactly what happened with his mum. His mum sort of faked her death and then popped up again. So I'd say if anyone has experience in people that they love coming back from the dead, it's, it's Tobias. Seems to be a bit of a trope in his life, honestly. And then to empathize with him, she starts thinking about all the people she loves that she's lost. And this is the order they come in. Lynn, Marlene, Will, who she killed. She leaves that out. Al, my fa- who tried to kill her, by the way. My father, my mother, they're last. They're last. Lynn, Marlene, Will, and Al all get the shout out before her parents. That's crazy. And then she thinks, what if they're still alive? Like Amar. And it's like, well, you've killed one of them. You've seen a couple of others die in front of you. So like, no, I don't think they're coming back, Tris. So Zoe says, we work for the same organization that founded your city. The same organization Edith Pryor came from. And then she holds out a photograph and she says, I think you should look at this, Tris. I'm going to step forward, put it on the ground. You come up and have a look. And Tris is like, she knows my name. How does she know my name? Not just my name, my nickname. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they've been watching them. Maybe it's a whole big brother type situation. I don't know. But she goes up, she looks at the photograph and she sees a row of people in front of a fence. I don't know if it's the fence, but it's a fence. And she sees a child version of Zoe recognizable by her freckles. Oh, so that's why we got that weird description of her freckles. Okay, so there's Zoe recognizable by her freckles and a few people that she doesn't recognize. And she's about to be like, why the hell are you making me look at this? And then she sees a young woman with dull blonde hair and a wide smile and it's her mother. So I love that she doesn't recognize her mother. She was about to give up on even looking. She, she clocked Zoe with the freckles immediately, but she doesn't even recognize her own mother. But then when she does, she's like, what's going on with this? And Zoe says, there's a lot to explain, but this isn't really the best place to do it. We'd like to take you to our headquarters. It's a short drive from here. So Tobias, he's whispering to her being like, should we trust them? And she's like, hmm. She goes, Zoe doesn't look like a liar. Okay, what? I didn't know she had that skill. Is she candor now where she can just spot a liar? This little freckle face could be lying to your face and you wouldn't know. But she's like, nah, she doesn't seem like a liar. Met her two seconds ago. She seems like a good egg. She reasons, if she knows who I am and knew how to find us here, it's probably because she has some form of access to the city, which means she's probably telling the truth about being with the group that Edith Pryor came from. Uh, Okay. Uh, 
A lot of assumptions are being made, but we want this meeting to happen, so let's roll with it. She says, well, we came here because we wanted to find these people. We have to trust someone. Let's do it. So they lower their guns. Christina is last to lower her gun. And now she's the one that I'd trust the most when it comes to sussing people out. But all right. So Christina says, wherever we go, we have to be free to leave at any time. Okay. And Zoe's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And that's the end of that chapter. We go to chapter 14. We're back with Tobias. And now they're on the other truck. So it's not a tank. It's, it's a truck. And he's thinking, Amar is alive. How about that? And he thinks about how Amar used to say adapt all the time during their initiation. He used to shout out, adapt, adapt, adapt faster, adapt better. And so now he's like, okay, Amar, I'll adapt. Whereas I'd be saying, hey, Amar, what the fuck? I'd pull him over in this truck and I'd say, hey, mate, thought you were dead. It's not the first time this has happened to me, but I'm a little shook up. Can you give me an explanation? But no, he's, he's just sitting in silence. So Tris still has the photo. She's looking at it. Christina's looking at it. And she's like, oh, is that your mum? And Caleb's looking at it and they're nodding. And she's like, wow, she was pretty. And they're like, yeah, she is. Was, I mean. And Four says, I expect Tris to sound sad as she replies. Like she's aching at the memory of her mother's fading beauty. What? Instead, her voice is nervous. Her lips pursed in anticipation. Oh, okay. He thinks she should be sad. Because her mum used to be pretty, but now she's not pretty. And he thinks that it's the memory of her mother's fading beauty that would upset her. Not the fact that she was dead, killed in front of her. It's the fading beauty that we're meant to be worrying about. Hmm, okay. So now Four's looking out at the distance and he can sort of see the city's skyline, Chicago's skyline. He sees the hub. And the hub is that really big building in Chicago. You know the one. Not the Hancock building, the other building. But that's the other thing. They've been to the top of the Hancock building and looked out. You know what I mean? So they knew that there was this wasteland. But as soon as they get past the fence, they're like, wow, look at this. An abandoned wasteland with train tracks. And it's like, you could have seen that from the Hancock building. Did you not look? Did you not look? I guess they didn't look. And he's looking around. City buildings are turned on their sides. Trees are overgrown. They're huge. Again, he's not seen any of this from the top of the Hancock building. Oh, I suppose he he was probably never looking out because he's afraid of heights, but yeah, you know what I mean? So he's like, this is a wild world. There's birds in trees. So I guess he has an anxiety attack and Tris is like, just stop, stop looking around at the wild world. Just focus on, on the vibrations of the truck. And so he does, he zones out. And then Tris is like, okay, maybe you should look around now. And so he looks up. There's this tall fence stretching wide across the landscape. And then there's like three fences. There's a big barbed fence. There's another fence. There's an electric fence. And people are walking the space between these fences carrying guns. And a sign on the first fence says Bureau of Genetic Welfare. Beyond the fences, there's different little buildings like greenhouses, security outposts, offices, residences main compound. He's reading all the signs. So it's nice of them to signpost everything for him to be able to read that for us. He says the Bureau of Genetic Welfare isn't tall, but it's huge. It's wide. There's a mammoth of glass and steel and concrete. And behind the compound are a few tall towers with bulges at the top. And he doesn't know why. Guys, it's an airport. Let's just, let's just cut to the chase. It's an airport. And that's confirmed for us. They get off the truck and Zoe says, welcome to the compound. And she says, this building used to be the O'Hare Airport. 
One of the busiest airports in the country. Okay, thanks, Veronica Roth. <laughs> now it's the headquarters of the Bureau of Genetic Welfare. Or just the Bureau, as we call it around here. It's an agency of the United States government. And now, okay, so these little dummies, they don't know any of the words she's saying. Tobias doesn't know what an airport is or what the United States are. They're all looking around at her quizzically. And she goes, oh, sorry, I keep forgetting how little you know. And Peter, he's like, I'm not going to cop that. He says, well, actually, it's your fault if we don't know anything, not ours. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay, I'll rephrase it. I keep forgetting how little information we provided you with. An airport is a hub for air travel. And Christina's like, air travel? You can travel in the air now? And so, oh, we've got to explain planes to them. Again, that whole big city of Chicago, there was, there was no evidence of planes. I just find that interesting. And also they're acting like the O'Hare airport is so far away from the city. And yeah, it might be, but the way that this escape has been described to me, they took a whole big train to the fence, then they were on trucks, and Tris says at one point, like, oh my God, the trucks, we were there until the early hours of the morning. We were riding on that truck for so long and now we're in another truck. I've been to Chicago. I think it took me 60 minutes to get from the airport to the CBD. But the way Tris has described this journey so far, they should be in bloody Milwaukee. Okay, so O'Hare Airport is 18 miles away. Right now, Google's telling me it's a 32 minute cab. So maybe these are slow trucks. I don't know. So then Amar says, oh yeah, air travel. It wasn't necessary for us to know about it when we were in the city, but air travel, it's safe, it's fast, it's amazing. And Tris is like, wow. And she looks excited like she's going to go board a flight. To where, Tris? Like she doesn't know other cities exist. So I don't know why she's getting so pepped up for it. But okay, they're like, wow, air travel. How about that? And Zoe's like, yeah, yeah, not the point. When the experiments were first developed, the airport was converted into this compound so that we could monitor the experiments from a distance. So, okay, that raises the question. They know everything that's been going on in the experiment. So they've been monitoring the experiment and they've just let it go as it's going. They didn't want to interfere when there was that genocide happening. Like, okay, sure, all right. Yeah, I mean, all the abnegation were killed, but all right. Um, glad they're getting what they wanted out of it. Hmm. And Zoe pretty much says, I'm going to take you to the control room. You're going to meet David. He's the leader of the bureau. There's going to be a lot of shit you're going to want to ask, but zip it. Take note of the questions and ask me later, which I think is a bit rude. You've been experimenting on me and my family for generations or not generations, depending on how much you've played with our minds, with serums. Uh, and I'm not allowed to ask a follow-up question to David in the control room. Like, no, I'm sorry, I'll be asking David a question. You've got me here picking random factions by dropping my blood in one of five bowls and then changing a way of life. And you've got me climbing buildings and zip lining and playing paintball all while you're watching. You're watching from your little airport towers. I, I was raised in abnegation and couldn't even look in a fucking mirror. I wasn't even allowed to put sugar in my fricking porridge. And you don't want me to ask any questions? I'll be asking questions, you son of a gun. So they start walking into the compound. They get to a security checkpoint and there's a bunch of security guards around. And Zoe says, weapons aren't allowed inside the facility. 
but if you leave them at the security checkpoint, you can pick them up as you exit if you choose to do so. Uh oh. After you drop them off, we'll go through the scanners and be on our way. So that it's not a real airport, but they're treating it as a real airport and they have to go through security <laughs> and they're going through metal detectors. <laughs> and I would have bet that there's no way for Entris would have ever have just left their guns at a random security checkpoint going to this control room with people who have been running an experiment on them. They're always hiding a knife or something in their, like their ankle brace. But seemingly, they don't even put up a fight. They do not even put up a fight. They just go, oh, okay. And they just take their guns off, put them in a tray and go through the metal detector. Completely out of character. They're all more bothered by Zoe. Because Kara and Tobias have a little chat about how much of a know-it-all Zoe is and they don't know shit, so they're a bit annoyed. Kara says she can't separate herself from her own knowledge. She keeps saying things like they're obvious when they are, in fact, not obvious. So Kara's pissed. One way to piss off a nose is to act like you know more than they do. She's annoyed. So yep, they just give up all their guns. They go through the security checkpoint. Four gets a little claustrophobic going through the metal detector, but he figures it out. We're really amping up Four's anxiety with his POV actually. So now they're in the belly of the beast. They start progressing through the airport. They go deep into the compound. And then Zoe stops and facing them is a large circle of blank screens. There's people typing furiously at computers. They're in the control room. And Four's like, I don't know what they're actually observing if this is where they're doing their observing because all the screens on the computers are dark. So I don't really know what that's all about. Then he says a few feet in front of the control room is an older man wearing a smile and a dark blue uniform. Oh, he must be erudite. Oh no. Oh no, it's an erudite compound. They're wearing blue. And then he says, when he sees us approaching, he spreads his hand as if to welcome us. And Tobias is like, oh, this must be David. And so this guy, David, he says, this is what we've waited for since the very beginning. And that's the end of the chapter. And I guess we're meant to be excited by that, but I've got bad vibes from this, David. I don't like how they're like, we did it. The experiment was a success. And it's like, well, fill these bitches in. They've gone through a lot. Also, I don't know if it has been a success. Don't really know what your metric of success is there, but we'll have to see. So let's leave it there. Let me know your thoughts. So, okay. So we know that the Dauntless call erudites noses and we know that they call the abnegation stiffs. What do we think they call Amity and Candor? Well, we know they call Candor jerks. So what do we think they call Amity? Have we heard of this before? I don't know. Let's brainstorm and touch base next week with your ideas. I reckon it's something dumb tied to them being farmers like cabbages. I reckon they're called cabbages. I don't know. Okay, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.